Well, now, present, loving God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together in this room be found pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, on this third Sunday of Advent, peace to you and grace from the Lord Jesus Christ. I once heard someone say that there are three ultimate words about you and me in Scripture, and that the first two of those words come out of Eden, with the third word coming out of Bethlehem. In this season, we're making our way once more to Bethlehem, the city of David, to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, our Savior. But this year, in order to hear the Bethlehem word about us better, we're going back to the beginning to hear the other two words about us out of Eden. Last week, we heard the first word spoken about you and me, and the word is good. In Act One of the cosmic grand drama, we hear that we were made good, every one of us, precious, prized in God's eyes, with God's very own image stamped in our clay. Today, we come to the second act in the drama, and immediately we sense that something terrible has happened, something ugly has coiled around the story. So now hear the second word about us out of Eden. Listen now to a story with tears in it. God set the human creatures in the garden to tend it, gave the man, the woman, sweeping freedoms. Every tree of the garden is yours, God said. Everyone except one, the tree of knowing everything. Have you ever wondered why God would put such a tree in the garden in the first place? The story doesn't say. But the word is given. Enjoy everything, but don't eat of the tree of knowing everything. If you do, you'll die. Or will you, says the snake. What's he doing in God's garden? Who let him in? Who made him? Why would God allow even the possibility of such an evil presence in a good world? Well, Genesis isn't telling, friends. Dante and Milton and others have given us images that have shaped our thoughts about this, but Genesis isn't telling. Just like the tree, the snake is just there. Evil in this world is a mystery to us, and Scripture doesn't answer the mystery. Scripture points to freedom for you, for me, and freedom even for the powers of evil. And so they call to us. In the beginning, they called to the woman. Why, oh why, did it have to be the woman? She's received endless blame ever since. I I was a seminarian when, a little over 34 years ago, Southern Baptists meeting in Kansas City voted by more than 50% that all the evil in the world was the woman's fault. Apparently, they knew more than the Bible because the Bible doesn't say that. At any rate, in the garden, she's there, and the snake is there. And the snake approaches her with insinuations and half-truths, 
which is exactly his style. Dear, it wouldn't kill you to eat of the tree of knowing everything. That's like being like God. And she considers this. I would know everything? That's right. Well, there are some things I'd like to know that I don't know. And she does it. She shoves past that boundary and takes the fruit and eats it. She takes what belongs only to God and says, mine. And she takes it home to Adam, and he eats it too. And now that they've decided to be more than the human creature, what do they get? Embarrassment about their bodies. Shame for being human. Fear of being seen as they are by the one who made them. So they cover up with camouflage, as we all do. And when God comes, they panic. They run for cover. And suddenly, God, their creator, friend, provider, has become to them stranger, rival, threat. That's how it works. And God calls out, where are you? Where are you? And they finally come out of hiding with this pathetic finger-pointing that we all do now. Adam says, well, she. And Eve says, well, the snake. And God sees what they've done to themselves, and God's heart breaks. And now God has to tell them the pain they've chosen, the loneliness and sorrow on the road they've begun to walk. And God sends them out to live in the consequences of their overreaching. This is the second word about us out of Eden. The first word is God's word. The second is ours. The first word is good. The second word is alienation. The first word is praise, love, life, joy. The second is sin, tears, separation, death. Following a radiant first act called creation comes a tragic second act, which we have come to know as the fall. So this morning I ask, what does it mean to say that you and I are living fallen lives? And, and by the way, this situation, this dilemma, isn't particular just to Christians and Jews. We read from the Hebrew Bible today, but, but all major religions have at least two things in common. Every religion, every major religion, and really many not-so-major religions, have what might be called oughts and ought-nots. Things we should do, things we shouldn't do, and the similarities among the world religions when it comes to the principles for living are, are many, actually. But not only are there some oughts and ought-nots, the other thing the world religions share in common is that the adherents to these religions are not consistent in following the principles of their religion. In every faith tradition, there is failure. We know this because the sacred texts of all the world religions address the failure of men and women to keep the laws and principles. Here's what we ought to do, here's what we need to do, but we don't do it. In fact, this morning, let's just take a little informal poll. Can we do that right here in this room? I want to invite you actually to raise your hand. Uh, if you will, there, there are five questions. Number one, how many of you ever in your life injured somebody by something that you said or did? 
all right? How many of you have at some point in your life ever dishonored or disobeyed your parents? How many of you were ever unkind to a brother or sister? How many of you have ever even once been deceitful in your dealings with others? Okay, how many of you were tempted to lie when we got to that last one? <laughs> I saw some, some of you were nervous about that. But you see the point, right? In every religion all over the world, whether you show up in a mosque, a synagogue, a church, a temple, everybody in the world responds the same. I had some ought-nots, and I did them anyway. Or I had some oughts, and I failed to do them. You know you know what, you don't even have to be religious to understand that this is true. Set God and religion aside for a minute. Every one of us has fallen short of our own standards. Every one of us have, have known, and not because we were religious and went to church, all of us have known that we shouldn't lie. All of us know, whether we acknowledge God or not, that we should not injure another human being by what we say or do. All of us know, whether God is in our life or not, that when we give our word about something, we ought to honor our commitments. All of us know there are some oughts, ought nots, and even if God doesn't enter into the picture with you, you know you've fallen short of your own standards of behavior, and the guilt you feel is real, because your conscience is real. Kathleen Norris shared a story about a little boy who wrote a poem called The Monster Who Was Sorry. And he begins the poem by admitting that he hates it when his father yells at him. And his response in the poem is to throw his sister down the stairs and then to wreck his room and finally to wreck the whole town. And the poem concludes, Then I sit in my messy house and I say to myself, I shouldn't have done that. Have you ever found yourself sitting in the messy house of yourself, ranting or crying or whispering, I shouldn't have done that? I've sat in that house. And in fact, maybe that's why some of you are, are back in church. Because you've been carrying guilt for some time. And maybe you've tried some religious system to get rid of your guilt. Or maybe you're not religious at all, but you've carried your own feelings of guilt for having fallen short of your own standards. And we have all kinds of ways for dealing with our guilt. We can try to lessen the guilt, convince ourselves it's really not so bad by saying, well, nobody's perfect, everybody does it. We say these kinds of things to make ourselves feel better, but it doesn't work. We can try to forget the guilt. Some do it by drinking or self-medicating. Some do it by shopping. Others do it by working. We can try to atone for our guilt, try to serve our way out or give our way out or apologize our way out. But the guilt is still there. Our conscience knows it's there. We've fallen short either of some standard we believe came from God or fallen short of our own standards of behavior. 
So what does it mean to say that you and I live fallen lives? It means that not one of us is innocent. Not one. It means we can't divide the world as we keep trying to do between bad people and good people. We are all shot through with the sickness. And there's no good blaming our parents or our spouse or the enemy, whoever that is, or the government. It's you and it's me and it's everything. It's bigger than we are. We're all caught in it and we keep choosing to be caught in it. You know, I think the snake really is a fitting symbol. Do you see how it coils? We keep trying to make evil a separate thing over there. But evil is inseparably coiled around everything, including and especially around the best that we do. The most insidious thing about evil in the world and evil in us is that it keeps disguising itself as good. There's no safe place. It's coiled outside and inside these doors. It's coiled around my preaching. It's coiled around your praying. And the problem isn't that you and I do some bad things for which we need forgiveness. The problem is that even the best we do is shot through with the poison that is killing us. This is what it means to have, as Soren Kierkegaard called it, the sickness unto death. Now, thank God, you all know that Act 2 is not the end of the story. You know that next Sunday, Act 3 of the story is going to blow trumpets and pull out all the stops. Literally, Dr. Schreiber will pull out all the stops next Sunday as we sing about the birth of a baby. Next Sunday, we're going to raise the roof around here about good news of great joy. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. See, if this is truth, then this really is news. Real news. It's, it's real joy. It's sheer relief. It's freedom we did not know we were going to get. It's a door we thought was closed to us swinging open. A radical healing we couldn't bestow upon ourselves. Talk about good news of great joy. But today we remember that we are not yet ready to hold Jesus as good news until we've let ourselves be broken by the other news about us. Until we acknowledge how we've broken the boundary lost our freedom and are dying powerless to save ourselves. But if you know it, if you can feel the coiling about your life, if something in you knows that the road you're on isn't enough to sustain your life, then friends, lift up your heads and listen to the news and make room for it. His name will be called Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. The snake was coiled up in the manger, too. Even on that first night, it began curling around the baby. And throughout Jesus' life, he felt its pressure, heard its voice, carried its weight, and felt it sting until it killed him. But in his death and resurrection, Christ crushed the serpent's head. 
And one day it will finally be destroyed and its damage will be healed and all tears wiped away. For now, though, the snake lives. It's wounded, but it lives. And for any who would be free of its ultimately doomed power, to be free from the power of death and free for the power of life, Jesus the Christ gives that freedom to any who reach for it. We'll give it to you this very day. Jesus saves his people from their sins by helping us to be human again. By opening a door we thought had closed. By astonishing us with friendship and forgiveness and purpose and the freedom to sing as we sang earlier this morning, Gloria in excelsis Deo. So let it be. May God make it so. Amen.